can erythritol genuinely cause a heart attack like this study is purporting it to do? I think it can. At least that's the way the evidence is leading. So at the Cleveland Clinic, Stan Hazen, who's a, a terrific researcher, and we've been following his work for many years, he did not set out to try to investigate erythritol. What he was really trying to do was to see why do people die of heart disease? People who are sick with heart disease, but what ultimately makes them crash and burn? What leads to a stroke or a heart attack or an early death? And he was looking for all kinds of compounds in the blood and the one that just jumped out in the statistics was erythritol. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Fullerton, California, Thornton, Colorado, and Quito, Ecuador. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 22 of season 6, number 418 overall. It turns out that a popular artificial sweetener could save you calories, but it could also cost you your life. So today we will be putting erythritol under the microscope. Research is now showing that this zero-calorie sweetener can put you at a higher risk for heart problems, including a heart attack and possibly even an early death. The problem here is that it's also in a ton of foods and it's even mixed in with other sugar substitutes. And it's also a big time favorite for people on the keto diet. So Dr. Neil Barnard is here with us to take a closer look at what this damning new research shows and what it could mean for you. Plus, we're also going to be talking about healthier sweeteners. What are some healthier options and whether all artificial sweeteners are actually dangerous? And do these artificial sweeteners that don't have any calories actually work well for weight loss and people with diabetes? Well, we're going to find that out as well. Also today, food scientists, man, they are at it again. This time, figuring out a way to remove nitrites from some processed meats. So the question then becomes whether a healthier ham is on the way. Well, we're going to find that out as well. And speaking of processed meats, out in Hawaii, they are gearing up for their annual jubilee for America's favorite cancer-causing canned meat, Spam. The Spam Festival is back. And because processed meats are known to cause cancer, our question is, where's the celebration for cigarettes? We're going to be talking about that in just a little bit. Plus, we're going to open up the doctor's mailbag and take questions from the exam roomies who were able to join us live on YouTube this week. Plenty of good ones in there as well. Now, before we get going today, I have to light a little bit of a fire under you if you're thinking about joining us for the big exam room live show out in L.A. That's coming up March 30th at the eBell. Here's the deal. Here's the urgency. The early bird discounted ticket rates end on March 6th. So lock in your savings today. 
Get your tickets right now at pcrm.org slash events, or just click the link in the episode notes. And we just announced two big special guests who will be joining Dr. Neil Barnard and Dr. Christy Funk and myself that night. Samantha Harris from Dancing with the Stars will be in the house, along with Tony Okamoto from Plant Based on a Budget, who has this great new cookbook coming out, Plant Based on a Budget, quick and easy. She, too, will be in the house that night. And oh, by the way, oh, by the way, if you get your hands on one of those exam room tote bags, it's going to have a free recipe from Tony's new book there. I believe it's tomato basil quinoa. So that sounds absolutely scrumptious. Here's the deal. VIP tickets, they include dinner, photo ops, giveaways, the tote bag with the free recipe, all of that before the show. So 6.30, a delicious plant-based dinner. 8 o'clock is showtime. But if you can't make it for dinner, no problem. Just come on out for the show. Tickets start at just $15. But remember, the early bird rate ends on March 6th. So pcrm.org events, or just click the link right now in the episode notes. Today's episode of The Exam Room Live is powered by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. You can visit them online right now at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R, fund.org. Let's shift our attention back to artificial sweeteners and your health. Could you in fact pay the ultimate price just to stay calorie free? Let's find out right now with Dr. Neil Barnard on The Exam Room Live. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you, Chuck. So I think it's been really hard to miss all of the coverage recently about this erythritol study. Uh, Robert wrote in right away when he saw this splashed in his newspaper. He said, look, can erythritol genuinely cause a heart attack like this study is purporting it to do? What's your take on this? I think it can. Uh, at least that's the way the evidence is leading. Uh, is leaning now. Erythritol is in a lot of products, as you said. It's it's used as a sweetener that's not sugar, and erythritol is actually a natural compound. You'll see it in some plants, but it's innocuous in the plants. But what they'll do is they will uh, concentrate it, so you're getting a thousand times what you might get from a normal food, and at that point, it's sweet as sugar, and so it. Manufacturers will put substantial amounts of it in foods to sweeten them up. So at the Cleveland Clinic, Stan Hazen, who's a, a terrific researcher, and we've been following his work for many years, he did not set out to try to investigate erythritol. What he was really trying to do was to see why do people die of heart disease, people who are sick with heart disease, but what ultimately makes them crash and burn, what leads to a stroke or a heart attack or an early death. And he was looking for all kinds of compounds in the blood. And the one that just jumped out in the statistics was erythritol. So then he went back to the lab. And in lab bench experiments, he found that erythritol will cause platelets to clump together at a certain concentration. Your platelets are the little microscopic quirks in your bloodstream that cause a clot. So if you, if you cut your finger, the platelets clump together to 
to stop the bleeding. But if they clump together in the middle of an artery, they can stop blood from flowing. Uh, and that's, that's a life-threatening situation. What he found is that erythritol will cause platelets to form a clot. And then he did the third and final thing was he brought in human volunteers and he fed them some erythritol containing foods. And he found out that very easily without pushing to high doses of, of erythritol, you could easily get to the blood levels of erythritol that would cause the clumping of the platelets to happen. So if you're going to ask him, he is going to say, I would be very cautious about those foods. And if you had asked me, I would say, just leave them on the shelf. Interesting. Um, the same kind of risks. I mean, I remember growing up and honestly being even a little bit scared and intimidated by the pink packet sugar, which said uh, this has been known to cause cancer. So I think about that. And now I think about this study. And I'm wondering whether there are a lot of other artificial sweeteners that are dangerous as well. Grace is wondering the same thing. I mean, should we just stay away from these things? Well, you know, you're right. Um, saccharin came out that, that's sweet and low or aspartame, which uh, these are still used in a lot of things. NutraSweet and Equal, that's aspartame. Um, if you go back a few decades, there were studies of sweeteners that suggested that they might cause cancer. And then researchers discovered that it was because they were using rodents. And rodents had a reaction that humans did not have, and it didn't pan out in humans at all. And so researchers started to doubt their science, and frankly, for good reason, the, the rodent tests were not helpful. And so the FDA has said, if you want to sell uh, aspartame, or if you want to sell saccharin or whatever, you, you certainly can. And there are other sweeteners like sucralose and, and, and a number of others that are FDA approved, and they do seem to be pretty much innocuous, I have to say. I don't think they're really a problem. There are some studies that do suggest increased risk of heart disease, increased risk of even causing obesity, increased risk of diabetes. There are others that show the reverse. And Chuck, here's what I think is going on. If you're a person who chooses sweeteners, that can mean one of two things. It can mean that you've got a problem right now. You're trying to lose excess weight or you're trying to deal with heart issues. So you're trying to be healthier. And so you're choosing these things. And it could be the original health problem that you're seeing manifested in these figures. So it's not the sweetener that caused the problem. It's all these other health problems that you brought along with you when you were choosing the sweetener that caused the issue. And the opposite can be the case too. Let's say somebody's really health conscious and they're going to the gym and they're exercising and they're eating all healthy foods. And then when they decide, what am I gonna have? I won't have the, the sugar sweetened Coke. I'll have the, the diet soda instead. And if as time goes on, they do better, they might think the sweetener caused their improvement when in fact it was the other health issues, uh, health improvements they're making. So I, I don't think that, that we can say that they're either risky or healthful overall. But Chuck, here's the thing that I think is the most concerning to me. And here's why I don't recommend people bother with them. You will see lots and lots of people who have the double bacon cheeseburger and the Diet Coke is sort of the way of making it all seem okay. Um, the problem is in the foods. And if we if are following a healthful diet, we're doing the most important thing for tackling these health issues. And that's that's really what we want to focus on, not assuming that the diet soda is going to save us. You know, I don't know if you have ever struggled with your weight. And a lot of times people who have struggled with their weight, myself included, are quick to dismiss anybody who is not overweight giving advice about weight. But I will tell you what you just said there about the Diet Coke and that combo meal, spot on. 
I mean, I think back to my old days going to Boston Market, getting a family-sized meal, eating half of the entire chicken with three large sides, and having a diet lemonade and calling that a healthy meal. The diet lemonade made the entire thing healthy. It's amazing to me how our mind works. It just kind of works in a way to erase the the unhealthy stuff that we know that we're doing. Somehow it just washes it all away. It's incredible to me the way that we think. Well, it's understandable though, Chuck, because let, let's say, to tell you the truth, let's say I'm a little addicted to cheese or something else. If I have the diet Coke instead of the regular Coke, I've saved 250 calories there. So that 250 calories I can invest in Delvita. You see what I mean? So um, the, the, the diet sodas aren't really a uh, help. They, they, over the long run, they are not a way to lose weight. They're not a way to prevent diabetes. And, and I think that uh, unfortunately, um, some of them are, seem to be even more dangerous uh, than that. And that's where erythritol comes in. Yeah, we actually had a couple of people wondering about that in the chat. I mean, you go to any grocery store in America, you see all of these candies and sweet treats that are being marketed toward people who do have diabetes that are made with these artificial sweeteners. Um, I mean, are they kind of the lesser of two evils or is this really you're going to want to get your sweets regardless from a, a healthier, perhaps even a whole food source? You know, back in 2015, there was a meta-analysis of studies that seemed to suggest that they were looking at soda and sugar-sweetened sodas were associated with more risk of diabetes going forward. And so, okay, that seems to indict the, the sugary soda. But they went further. They looked at artificially flavored sodas and they were associated with diabetes too. So it wasn't the sugar or the absence of sugar. It was the soda. So what's the thing with the soda? Sodas come with cheeseburgers. And it was really the unhealthy diets that, that, that really drive these things. Two years later, 2017, researchers in the Canadian Medical Association Journal said, wait, 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 wait. Let's not look just at sodas. Let's look at sugars altogether. What's the story with them? And so they combined healthy sugars like fruit sugars, added sugars out of your sugar bowl, um, and all kinds of, of sugary products. And what they found is that over the long run, there really wasn't any association between sugar consumption and the cause of type 2 diabetes. It really didn't matter. It's not the driver. And of course, our research has shown that type 2 diabetes starts not from eating sugar, but from eating fatty foods that get fats into your muscle and liver cells that stops insulin from being able to get the sugar into the cell. It's the fat that's the problem. And when we get the fat out of our diet with a, a vegan diet, healthy, vegan, low-fat diet, uh, the fat gets out of the cells, the risk of diabetes diminishes. So the sugar and the artificial sweeteners were all, also really kind of irrelevant to that product, uh, to that process. And you know, some people, Dr. Barnard, they just have just this incredible sweet tooth. I mean, sweets, people crave them just like cheese. When it comes to these artificial sweeteners, the zero calorie ones, do you think by and large they can be as addictive perhaps as regular sugar is? I think they can, and I think they can also maintain the desire for sweets. You know, the, the desire for sweets can be extinguished, um, just like the desire for salt and the desire for fat. Um, many people have had the experience of reducing the fat content of their foods, or they switch from whole milk to skim milk, there's less fat. Their tastes reject that at first, but after about two or three weeks, the taste buds adjust. You do the same with sugar. If you love sugar, you're having sugar all the time. And if you kind of break the love affair, 
uh, you will be sad for a couple of, of weeks or so. You'll miss it. But then as time goes on, your taste buds accommodate and you don't like that sickly sweetness anymore. You can do this with salt as well. Um, so the artificial sweeteners just maintain that love affair for eating in general and for sweets in particular. Do you think it's possible that somebody would crave it more and more and more over time? I, I know of people who have gone from using just a little drop of stevia to using two drops, then three, then four, and then pretty soon they're putting it in their soda. And it's just like, holy sugar explosion, Batman. Yeah. yeah but what, what typically happens is we increase and then you find the dose that your brain accommodates to and you stay at that plateau. You see this with alcohol um, where a person hits a certain dose. You see it with tobacco where a person decides I'm a two pack a day smoker. And it's that way with foods as well. You'll increase until you hit the dose that your brain accommodates to and then you just stay there. And if you break up with it, if, uh, once you decide this is not doing me any good, you break and then your brain will go through this kind of mourning process, so to speak, physiologically, where it doesn't have its normal crutch and you'll have some withdrawal in some cases, but that's usually relatively quick. And after a week or so, you come out the other end and you think, I'm glad that is finished. All right. A lot of people now are wondering about their particular sweeteners of choice. We'll start with Stevia and a question from Laurie at 1139, wondering whether a small amount of Stevia is okay to have every day. Probably so. You know, Stevia is from a plant and you see it in Truvia and, and, and other similar products, it probably is okay. At the same time, it's it's not something that's necessary. It doesn't really help. It just provides that, that sweetness without the relatively few calories that you were going to get from sugar. Let me emphasize that. If you're using stevia instead of sugar, the sugar didn't really have that many calories anyway, so it doesn't accomplish a lot, but I don't, I don't think it's harmful. Uh, take it a step further. Question from Natalie at 1131 says that the label on her stevia also includes maltodextrin. Is that okay? Uh, FDA approved, probably okay. It, it's, it's probably in that category of won't help you, but it's uh, from a safety wise, it's probably innocuous. Real Talk 1210 wanted to find out if coconut sugar was good for you. Have a look at it. If it's if it is purified sugar from the coconut and there's none of the coconut fat that goes in there, then you've dodged the big bullet. The the coconut fat is really I got to tell you that's really the problem because it is very heavily saturated fat and it's going to raise your cholesterol. All right, let's keep the uh, the sweet train rolling here. Bean burrito twelve oh nine using I I think they meant monk fruit as opposed to mock fruit. I've never heard of mock yeah, fruit. Yeah, it's monk fruit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, what's your take on monk fruit? You know, it's amazing. <laughs> Every six months or so, there are new sweeteners that come out and some are, are extracts. Uh, and and it's, it's so far as we know, we don't see any health risks as a result of it. And yet at the same time, let me go back to why are we craving sweets so much? In nature, nature, nature gave us, in fact, Chuck, Chuck, you and I talked about this a little bit before. Nature gave you the tongue's ability to taste sweets, not so that you'd go to the store to get stevia or monk fruit or anything else. It gave you that so that when you are, uh, or when our distant ancestors were in a tree picking different things to eat, they would recognize a nice healthy fruit and they would eat it. And it also gave you right next to your sweet receptors on your tongue, bitter receptors and sour receptors so that you can tell when things are going bad, when uh, the fruit is overripe, starting to ferment, and then your bitterness will kick in and you will reject that fruit. So that's what it's really for. So what that means is that if we allow our sweet taste to bring us to whole fresh fruits and all the wonderful things they can turn into, that's what nature really had in mind.
All right. Not exactly a whole food here, but Sean Hill is now wondering about xylitol. Put that question in the mailbag at 1213. Yeah, it's a sugar alcohol. It's one of the ones that it's very common. You'll see it in many things. The FDA says it's safe. And I think I think this is going to be another one that's in that category of, of foods that aren't really helpful, won't cause weight loss, but probably won't cause weight gain either. Um, but it will maintain your desire for sweets because it's it is a, a very sweet sugar alcohol. Going back to the less refined uh, area here, Lorianne at twelve fourteen. What about agave and non-processed sugarcane? What are the uh, thoughts there? Are those healthier options? Uh, you could say that. I mean, they are. They are several steps back toward nature. Uh, with sugarcane itself, if you were in the Caribbean and you got a chunk of sugarcane and you chewed on it, you would get a little bit of sugar, and you would be working on all, all the fiber that's still there. It's when people invent factories that can throw away all of the pulp and all the fiber and leave you just that sugar, which from the sugar cane is just pure sucrose. That's when you're getting calories that you don't really need. Let's get a little bit technical here. Uh, we, we touched briefly on diabetes a little bit earlier. Albert, though, at 1211 is wondering whether artificial sweeteners can nudge or spike insulin even if it's glucose neutral. It should, they, sh they should not. Um, insulin is really driven by two things, one of which is not a surprise, and that's sugar. When, you're, when your blood sugar goes up, your body releases more insulin. The other that might surprise you is protein. Uh, when you eat protein, the animal protein or even plant proteins, your body will make a little extra insulin. But the sweetener should not, the artificial sweetener should not be doing that. All right. I want to take a second and uh, say congratulations to Sarah Ann, who's watching today in Detroit. She says, uh, today is my nine-year vegan anniversary, 40 pounds lighter and healthier in my 30s than I was in my teens and my 20s. Says, thanks to the exam room for your guidance. I am loving life. Well, Sarah Ann, I am loving to hear about that success. That is so cool. And Dr. Barnard, I honestly wonder, if we were able to add up all of the weight that has been lost by exam roomies and all of the health transformations, like if we could just somehow measure that and put that in a, uh, a health journal somewhere, I think really we could show that it is possible to quite literally change the world in terms of health. I think that this is something that we should all be celebrating. Congrats, Sarah Ann. I, I think it's absolutely true. And, and, and let me let me multiply that a little bit because everybody who sees this program and they take information about it, what are they going to do? They're not going to keep it to themselves. They tell somebody over dinner or somebody that they see later that day about things that they have learned. So it has this huge multiplier effect, meaning you're saving lives that, of people who haven't even watched the program yet. Really quickly here before we change gears, I want to get to a question from Lizard Greetings. Man, I love these names. Lizard, Lizard Greetings. At 1224, could Dr. Barnard give his views on date products, dates, dates, syrups, date paste, date powder, et cetera, et cetera, et all? What's your take on dates? Dates are fine. You know, a lot of people are, are using them because it's such a... It, a it's a, it's a sweet product. It's obviously totally natural. It comes from a date. Um, and when people take the date products and they use them, the sweetness is a little bit different. It's a little bit less intense. And it's also mixed in with some other sort of the botanical flavors that make it a little bit uh, richer. So I think it's terrific when people explore their culinary applications. All right. And uh, one more. And then I promise we're going to broaden up our discussion here. Keith Dwyer here at 1224 is wondering whether fruit jams or preserves have 
any health benefits that you can see. If they make you eat whole grain toast, I suppose they're a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, you know, people use them as as a as a nice uh, sweetener on their toast or on. Some people put them on oatmeal, that kind of thing. I don't think it's. I don't think they affect health much, one way or the other. Jokes aside, do you think that a little bit of nut butter with the sliced up banana on there for the sweet kick would be the healthier option there? Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. All right. Hey, uh, speaking of going and uh, doing things here, uh, how about coming out to LA? Here's the deal, uh, Dr. Bronner. We are getting closer by the well, matter of fact, it's March now. So at the end of the month, we're going to be doing a live exam room podcast taping in LA, and it's getting bigger by the day. March 30th at the eBell. Just broke this news on the podcast this week. Samantha Harris, host of Dancing with the Stars. She will be hanging out with us that night. That's so cool. And Tony Okamoto from Plant Based on a Budget. She's got a brand new book coming out next week. She's also going to be on the show, Plant Based on a Budget. She's going to be hanging out with us there next week as well, giving us tips on how to eat healthy, how to eat deliciously, and do it without breaking the bank. Major superstar, Dr. Barnard, you're going to be there. I'm going to be there. Dr. Christy Funk is going to be joining us. And uh, a little birdie tells me that we still have at least one major celebrity guest still to announce. This is all very exciting um to be able to do the show on this level is mind-blowing to me i think it's going to really be a blast i can't wait to see our friends in la and i hope people will, will, will come in and uh share their experiences with us and, and hear what we've got to present as well i think it's going to be a great time it's going to be a phenomenal time. And oh, by the way, bring your appetite. If you get the VIP tickets, you can come and eat dinner with us ahead of time. Dinner is going to be served at 630. The show is going to be at eight. And the VIP tickets also get you access to exclusive giveaways and photo opportunities, plus priority seating for the podcast when we begin recording at eight o'clock. So pcrm.org slash events is the place to go to reserve your seats today. But hurry, those early bird ticket prices that are there right now, they go up on March the 6th. So tickets start right now at just $15, pcrm.org slash events, but get yours today because prices do go up after March 6th. Uh, let's go ahead and move on. I want to talk to you about an article that an exam roomie by the name of Karen sent me. And this one was just like, what is happening right now? Apparently, these food researchers, these food scientists, they are at it again, Dr. Barnard. They said, okay, well, meat is under attack, so let's go ahead and figure out how to make people think meat is healthier. So what they're doing as we speak is figuring out how to take nitrites out of the curing process. So if, say, they were able to be successful curing ham without nitrites, would that ham, in fact, be a healthy option? Well, it's a great question, and I'm sorry to tell you the answer is no. Uh, researchers have looked at this whole category of processed meats, which is ham, bacon, sausage, bologna, um, very, very common foods. And they are clearly linked to a number of cancers, uh, particularly colorectal cancer, but also many others. They're also linked to things that you wouldn't think that foods would cause, like respiratory conditions, because they're inflammatory foods. So if you get rid of the, the nitrates, uh, not the nitrates that are in ham and in, in a number of brands, uh, there are plenty of them that are cured in other ways, but they still are associated with cancer and other health issues. So now leave the ham on the pig. Uh, you've got plenty of other things that you can eat instead. Um, and I, I, 
just avoiding the nitrates is not going to make them healthier foods. Leave the ham on the pig. Uh, talk to us a little bit more about what the nitrite actually is. Is uh, is that uh, a cancer-causing thing? Is it is it bad for diabetes? What what exactly is a nitrite here? Yeah, nitrates are are used as as a preservative basically, and they also have a little bit of a flavor and a little bit of a color. So um, they've been used for a really long time. And when researchers were trying to figure out why we are seeing so much colorectal cancer in certain populations, it's been traced back to the the processed meats and ham is front and center there. Um, and so uh, the, the problems, it go way beyond colorectal cancer to a number of other types of cancer, including breast cancer, linked to processed meats, yes. And then as I, I hinted at earlier, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD, which you think of, well, that's something that smokers are going to get. For some reason, some uh, people who eat more processed meats get more lung disease as well. And researchers have tried to figure out how could processed meat affect your lung? And what we believe is happening is that there is free radical damage to the, the lung tissue that, that unfortunately has its roots back in what you ate for, for lunch. So the good news is that if we get away from the processed meats, including ham, whether it has nitrates or not, if we get rid of them, a number of health issues get better all at the same time. So that's that's really what we really ought to be doing. And by the way, it's not just us calling for this. The American Medical Association back in 2018 said, hospitals, if you serve bacon, if you serve ham, if you serve sausage, throw them out. Don't give them to your patients. Don't give them to your staff. Don't even serve them to visitors who come through. Don't serve them at all because it's the, the equivalent of allowing people to light up a cigarette as they're walking into the hospital door. So the AMA has been clear about that and uh, everybody else should be as well. And that my friend is a perfect segue to a question from Woody wondering what your take is on the spam festival. Yes, spam, the canned meat, a spam festival that is about to happen in Hawaii. What is your take there, Dr. Barnard? Chuck, I got, this is breaking my heart. I have to tell you, <laughs> it really is 1937. Hormel came out with this product that they came up with this name, Spam. And it became a hit, it's particularly in certain parts of the world. And in the United States, Hawaii is home to Spam. They, uh, Hawaiians consume about 7 million cans of Spam every year. And so just in the same way as you'll see a bologna festival here and a sausage festival there and a bratwurst festival somewhere else, Waikiki has its Spam Fest. I'm not making this up. They really do. And so how do you like your spam to be prepared? They're going to eat it in all different ways. And um, in fact, you can go onto their the website that they put up and they list their sponsors. And some are, are places that you might expect like 7-Eleven. But one of the sponsors of the Spam Festival, not making this up, is the Queen's Health System, which happens to be Hawaii's biggest private hospital system. Now you might be saying, wait a minute, processed meat makes people sick. They go to the hospital, they need care. The hospital is trying to make money for itself. I don't think so. I, I, I can't imagine they would be that hard hearted. But I do think that the Queen's health system in Hawaii is displaying the ignorance that we see among many people in the medical world, which is that we focus on drugs, we focus on surgery, and we're forgetting about the things that people can do themselves which is healthier food. We forget about the fact that we as 
physicians and caregivers need to model healthy eating. So I'm uh, going to encourage my friends at the Queens Health System to today decide they're not going to sponsor the, the Spam Fest. And in, in fact, uh, they should be promoting plant-based foods. And let's see if we can't do everything that we, that's, that, that we have in our power to keep people of Hawaii and everywhere else a lot healthier. Yeah, I mean, let's get serious about this for a minute here. I mean, I feel like there are still so many of us who are walking around with blinders on when it comes to what a healthy diet actually looks like. And I can't begin to tell you how many roomies I hear from who say, well, my doctor told me what I eat doesn't even matter. So what's something that we all can do, Dr. Barnard, to really start the process to educate our doctors who we work with to keep us healthy, to really improve what they know about nutrition as well? Well, obviously it starts with number one, we've got to follow healthier diets ourselves. And most of us, like me, we didn't grow up with a healthy diet at all. I grew up in North Dakota eating all these foods all the time. Um, but once we learned, we can try out a healthier diet and realize that it's actually a big improvement. So that's where it starts. Share any information you have, of course, with your doctor. Your doctor is kind of doing the same thing you're doing, exploring for himself or herself what healthier options may be. If you have any affiliation with a hospital or if unfortunately you have to visit a hospital or you're a patient in a hospital, insist that they serve healthier foods and make sure that they take you uh, seriously. I, th I think there was a time at, at the George Washington University Hospital, that's the medical school that I went to, you could light up a cigarette and walk right down the hallway and patients could smoke in bed as long as oxygen wasn't flowing. Well, we got smarter and we learned that cigarettes cause lung cancer Let's not sell cigarettes in the gift shop and let's not permit it because we want people to have three or four days while they're in the hospital learning what it's like to be a non-smoker. That's where we are today with food. We've really got to speak up for ourselves, speak up for the hospitals that we're at and uh, get these bad products out. Now, Chuck, as you know, um, there are hospitals that are making big changes already. Look at uh, what's happening in New York under the leadership of, of Mayor Eric Adams. Um, People come into the hospital now and they're not getting spam. They're not getting, getting processed meats or any meat. The, um, the default foods that they are served are plant-based. Um, and that's something that's being emulated elsewhere. So th things are going to get better. It's just a little bit, uh, a little bit slower than we'd like to see. And here's, I know that it will get better in time. What concerns me a little bit, though, is, you know, it's been years now since the World Health Organization comes out and classifies red and processed meat as known carcinogens, right, and puts them in the same category as tobacco. So here we have the Spam Festival. And to me, with that classification, that also makes me wonder then, well, if we have a Spam Fest, why aren't we having a cigarette jubilee or something like that? Is it, is it so much of a leap? Is it so extreme to say, well, it is exactly kind of the same thing. You know, uh, what you're saying is, is exactly what we're seeing. I, hopefully people aren't lighting up a cigar to celebrate National Lung Health Month, but, but we're, we're, we're seeing just, just about the same thing. Uh, in many cities, they have held what they call the Cattle Baron's Ball. And you know it exactly what they're going to serve there. It's big hunks of meat. And who is the beneficiary? It's supposed to, to, to help heart disease prevention. Um, and you think, you have got to be kidding me. Um, but society does move on, and the, the work that we're doing here to educate people is going to change that. Uh, it, it's, it really is going to move the dial faster and faster as the years go by. Yeah, you, you sound pretty optimistic that that ball is uh, starting to roll, and uh, the hill is now down, so it's picking up steam, right? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, Chuck, you know, back 20 years ago, if you said to somebody, I'm vegetarian, I'm vegan, they would think, well, you got to be a librarian or a philosopher or something like that, you know, and they would ask, you know, uh, are you getting enough protein? Today, there isn't anybody who doesn't know that a vegan diet is healthier. Today, their question is, could I do it? You know, could I do it? My, my sister's doing it. I'm not sure if I could. So, so the discussion points are shifting more and more towards yeah, maybe, maybe I could do that. And that's exactly where we were a generation ago. People knew that, that tobacco was a problem, but the question was, how much of a problem was it? What if I just cut down? Nowadays, it's not an issue. There's one, one option, and that's to just quit smoking. So with food, we're getting there. It's just taking time. All right, going back to nitrites, March uh, at 1235 is wondering whether we should be looking for any in processed vegan food. Um. No, what we're really talking about here is, is, is a certain kind of processing that's applied to meat products, particularly pork products, not just pork products, but you also see it with chicken, uh, chicken franks are, are a processed meat that's also linked to colon cancer. But no, uh, the vegan foods are, are not in that category at all. Uh, let's grab a couple of more. Uh, start with Connie, uh, who writes in wondering about cheat days and weight loss, says, I've been on a plant-based diet for over a year. I've lost only 25 pounds. Well, that's nothing to shake a stick at, though. I have to admit, though, I do cheat sometimes. Could that be the reason I've only lost 25 pounds? Do you have any advice? Well, first of all, I want to congratulate you. Losing 25 pounds is great. And if you did it by following a plant-based diet, that's wonderful because you know that as maybe people who haven't done this yet don't know, is you don't have to starve. You don't have to run a marathon. The weight just comes off because you've made a qualitative shift in what you've done. 25 pound weight loss is something that you can congratulate yourself for. But if your question is, hey, I'd like to lose some more. Maybe I've got another 25 pounds I'd like to lose. The foods to really focus on. T take a look at what you ate yesterday and what you're eating so far today. And look for sources of fat like, well, first of all, if there's any animal products in there, if it's that kind of cheat day, you might set that aside. Um, but also look for fatty plant products, like a lot of peanut butter or guacamole, that kind of stuff. They may be delicious, but the fatty foods, you've heard me say this before, they all have nine calories per gram of fat. If it's carbohydrate, only four. So when people's progress is not what they were hoping for, it's often the fatty foods that are slowing them down. And the final question of the day comes to us from Wilemka at 1234, uh, wondering about some supplements here. Dr. Barnard uh, says uh, they're having a hard time getting enough choline, wondering whether or not they should supplement. Uh, says right now they get about 300 milligrams instead of 400 milligrams that are needed. So what foods have choline and when should somebody look at taking a supplement? I don't think I wouldn't worry about it at all. Choline is in a wide range of foods. You don't need to supplement it. And, and I wouldn't worry about it whatsoever. The, the basic rule, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, you'll get the choline that your body needs. You don't really need to be supplementing. And there's um, a fair amount of evidence you should not be supplementing because this is one of those things where an overdose, it can be risky. There you go. All right. If we did not get to your question today, have no fear. We will save it and do our best to get you an answer on an upcoming episode. And I also want to take a moment to say that today's episode of The Exam Room Live has been powered by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. You know, the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations just like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. And you can check them out online right 
right now at GregoryWriterFund.org. That's Gregory Writer, spelled R-E-I. T-E-R fund.org. You see that right there on the lower portion of your screen. Go ahead and check them out. Allison and the gang over there does such tremendous work for our health, for the animals, for all of everything it is that we work to do here at the exam room and at the physician's committee. And my hat is off to her. As always, we just could not do these shows without her, Dr. Barnard. Let me second that. You know, Allison has done such a beautiful job of carrying forward the, the wonderful spirit that Greg had. He had such a heart for animals and, and frankly, was such a nice guy, too. And uh, thank you, Allison, for, for carrying that forward. And thank you for supporting the work that we're doing to, to spread that uh, all around the world. There is some other research that I wanted to share with you here on the show today. I mean, this has really been a newsy kind of a week for nutrition. Here's the score. Researchers in Japan wanted to take a closer look at what happens when people don't eat a lot of fruits or vegetables. And specifically, these researchers wanted to look at people who had chronic kidney disease. But what they found though, was that the results were pretty much the same regardless of how healthy a person's kidneys were. Turns out eating fruits and vegetables can help you live a longer life. A little over 2,000 people were included in this study and some of them were even on dialysis. The results showed that people overall tended to eat less fruits and vegetables as their disease progressed though. And in fact, when compared to people who ate fresh produce every single day, people who only ate fruits and vegetables sometimes had a 25% higher risk of dying from any cause. And the numbers were actually far worse for people who rarely or never ate any fresh produce. The results there are showing a 60% higher risk of death. Now, researchers are hoping that these findings lead to changes in nutrition counseling for patients who do have chronic kidney disease. Currently, they're generally discouraged from eating a lot of fruits or vegetables, especially if they're already on dialysis because of the risk of hyperkalemia. But the data taken from this study which was conducted at the only major hospital on Sato Island in Japan, it seems to support previous findings from other countries, with the lead researcher saying, quote, Our findings support that although food culture differs by country, the survival benefit of a high vegetable and fruit intake may be universal. And you can check out the study right now in the Journal of Renal Nutrition. There's a link for you in the episode notes. I get fired up for new research and it just seems like more and more and more comes by the day. I love it. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. Let's keep raising our health IQs. You know what we haven't done in a while here on the show is a five-star health success. So let's go ahead and spotlight an exam roomie who has turned their health around and now is living their best life. So I want to say a shout out and big congratulations to Barb, who posted this five-star review on Apple Podcast. She writes, I am 60 years old and lost 25 pounds on a whole food plant-based diet. I have never felt better. 
I love listening to Chuck and the guests on the podcast while I clean a 28,000 square foot home for a living. 28,000, holy cow. I'm getting about 12,000 steps in every day. I went back to eating meat twice in the two years and have found that it is the worst for my body and that I have less inflammation and better gut digestion without it. Whole plant-based foods rock and I'm saving the animals too. Thank you so much for all your education that you give to us all. Well, Barb, that is awesome. And yeah, that is a heck of a big house. Oh my gosh. And thank you so much for writing that review. I am so happy for you. Please keep up the great work. And thank you so very much for listening. 25 pounds is no small feat. This should be celebrated, my friend. And I'll tell you, you talk about getting about 12,000 steps and just cleaning this house. It reminds me of my friend Rick, who will text me updates on his step count. He has this pedometer on his phone and he'll text it to me, especially after he's given a couple of long tours in DC. He works as a tour guide and he also just bought this house that has an enormous backyard and so just cutting the grass or raking the leaves or picking up sticks or whatever just working out in the yard this guy can get close to 15 16 17 thousand steps at this new house so it just goes to show what barb is saying and and what rick is finding is that look you don't always have to go to the gym to get your fitness in my friends you could just get your steps into your daily routine. However it is that you can fit it into your day, just go ahead and do it. And as Dr. Jim Loomis has said on the show here before as well, just doing laundry makes you an athlete. You're up, you're moving around, you're active, you're working your muscles. You may not be collecting an NFL player's paycheck, but you're still certainly putting in that work and you are every bit of an athlete. And oh, by the way, Barb, at 60 years old, you are a hero. So just keep on going. Just keep on going and keep us up to date. That is so, so great. I'm so happy for you. Now, if you would like to be featured in the next five-star health success, here's all you need to do. Super easy. Just head over to Apple Podcast or Spotify or wherever it is that you listen to your shows. Subscribe to the exam room by the Physicians Committee and leave a five-star rating. And then in the review, tell us how your life has changed thanks to a plant-based diet and what you like about the exam room podcast. So do that right now and you can be the next bar. You can be the inspiration for someone who is striving to improve their own health. You can show them that their goals are very much within reach. And there's a link to do that right now in the episode notes. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Neil Barnard for being here and helping to raise our health IQs. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. 